Hello, and welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We are your hosts, Stephen Craig. And Parker Doman. This is episode 102. So, Stephen, yes. using assembly layers. We're going to get right into the topic. Just jump right into it. No so, fifth Uh Earlier today, I was, I was um, on my computer, and I was like, oh my gosh, we have a podcast today, and I don't have anything to think about. And it's funny, like, I'm thinking about the entire time, I'm laying out, like, three PCBs. I got, like, a whole bunch of PCBs all over the place, and I'm laying them out. And then I was, I was messing around with uh, my assembly layers and PCBs, and I thought about it, I was like, Hey, that would be a fun topic to talk about because assembly layers are kind of weird, but not at the same time. They're weird in the fact that, like, what are they? Like, what are they good for kind of thing? Uh, and so I thought it'd be fun to just talk about that. Okay. Yeah. So real quick, Parker, uh, for a two-layer board, there are 10 files, effectively, you need to send to a manufacturer. To get a PCB. To, to get a PCB. Yeah. What are those 10 files? Um, border outline. Yep. Um, top silkscreen, top solder mask, top copper, um, bottom silkscreen, bottom paste, bottom copper, uh, drill file. And then uh, you, you miss top paste. And, and basically, okay. basically it's you, – you, and there's a drill yeah. file. So uh, you got four layers on top, four layers on bottom. You have a border outline and a yep. drill file. Yep. And with those ten – files most manufacturers can make any kind of pcb but if you look at eda tools there's a ton of other layers that are available especially eagle eagle yeah. has like 255 yeah. possible layers yeah. or something. i wonder if they originally wrote that for an 8-bit uh, computer i bet you i it had to have th th that number is too convenient like uh like zelda's wallet in the first zelda yeah he can only hold 255 rupees yep yeah so the uh um the the assembly layers <clears throat> Excuse me. They're not something that you normally use, but they can be incredibly useful. So, what I uh, kind of an example of what I've been using them for, I've been building PCB stacks, like um, assembly layers, effectively, that are multiple PCBs that all link together mm -hmm. in order to make one unit. Uh, so you have a panel, and then you have a PCB underneath that panel that has all the controls on it, and then underneath that you have most of your processing circuitry and things like that. And power. And so yeah. they all kind of have to 3D stack together. Mm -hmm. So what I've been using assembly layers for is, is I'll make basically outlines of components that are on the PCB above whichever one I'm working on, uh -huh. and I'll plop those on my PCB. And then if I ever need to like have a header go through the PCBs, I can see sort of like pseudo 3D where the PCB yeah, yeah, yeah. is above it. Yeah, so that way you don't punch your header right into a capacitor or yeah or something like that right yep. and so instead of like having to design two pcbs at the same time i can design one knowing that there's stuff up above so assembly layers are kind of just like you can use them as catch-all there's you don't need to have anything in them but if you want to have information in them you can and so i've sort of been using them like i said as kind of like a like a crunch layer in a way where I can crunch all my PCBs into one view effectively, but I can work on one PCB and just by toggling my assembly layers on and off, I can turn off all the other PCBs and just focus on what I'm doing right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it also works really well, like, if you're doing, like, um, PCB, and let's say your enclosure has, like, I don't know, some kind of piece that has to lay across the PCB. Well, they've got um, uh, enclosures that like your PCB slides into. Yeah. And so you would have to come in far like you can't have a part that's like right on that edge where it's going to slide into the enclosure 
Right. So so you can you can use the, the assembly layer to indicate where the PCB is actually going to make contact, contact yeah. with the board. Uh, it's also good for just throwing a bunch of text that you don't want to end up on the PCB, but you want to still be able to read. Yeah, and Eagle, I use. it's called a document layer. Mm-hmm. I use that for that purpose. Well, and they come in a bunch of different... Um, Names. Yeah, yeah. There's there's uh, assembly, there's document layers, and there's mechanical layers too. Yep. Uh, so mechanical layers actually, um, they're, they're actually all the extra layers above and beyond the ten that Parker said earlier are are kind of just like anything goes layers. Even though they have a name, there's nothing specific you have to put in them. Like in in a copper layer, you have to put copper. Yeah. Uh, but in any of the other layers. I guess the other 245 in Eagle, you, yeah. can, you can just put whatever you want, sort of. Sort of, yeah. <clears throat> but, uh, but like, for a mechanical layer, let's say you had, like, a like a screw that was going through your board. Uh, you have the hole for the screw, but the head of the screw is actually going to be larger than the hole. You could draw that screw head on your mechanical, mechanical layer. layer and visualize the screw in there. Yep. So it makes it really convenient for doing anything above and beyond, like, metal on fr4 yeah i use the um the assembly layer for doing like micro sd cards because mm-hmm. micro sd cards they're con- the connector are, are usually spring-loaded and so there's a where you press the the card into goes in x amount and then it pops out y amount oh and so okay. you want to be able to have that connector at the right you know away a uh, distance away from the edge of the board and you got to plan for your enclosure, so you have to be because you know your fingers got to be able to press into the enclosure, into the gap where the micro SD card is at, right? And get past the detent, a detent, yeah, and then snap the board, uh, the right. You so know. you put the farthest extent and the minimum extent of the SD card. Yes, and, the, and, it's, yeah. and it's gauging where that should be. So I draw that on the on the. Uh, I think I draw that on the mechanical layer. Yeah. Because it's a mechanical thing. Yeah, yeah. And and I've done things similar to that. Like, if I have a potentiometer that sits on a board 90 degrees to the PCB, mm-hmm. and it needs to go through a hole in my enclosure that's 90 degrees, would I draw a, on my assembly layer, I'll draw a dimension that goes from the center line of the pads of the PCB to where that potentiometer would bottom out on the face of the... Um, enclosure mm-hmm. such that i know if i move my board such that all the potentiometers are are you know flush with that face i can then put my screw holes in my enclosure and it'll and right. all fit yep and it's really nice for that kind of stuff in fact in this uh in these board stack ups that i've had these triple board stack ups um i kind of got goofy and in the bottom board of the stack up i didn't want to have any components on the back side so all the components basically face upwards yep but it has trim pots. So in order to access the trim pots, what I decided to do was cut a hole in the PCB above it such that you could hold it and put a, put a screwdriver uh, through it. way through it, yep. But if you look at a trim pot, a lot of the, the like, um, through-hole trim pots, the actual um, head that, that rotates is not dead center to the component. It's offset a little bit. So what I did was when I drew the footprint for the potentiometer, I... On the assembly layer, I also drew what the dimensions were uh, from its center point to where that is. So when I'm designing the board that goes on top that needs that you holes, can pull that assembly I can dock pull in. that assembly dock and then just apply an offset to a hole and, and it fits there on you top. Go. And what's cool is once you, once you get all that, you just upload all the Gerbers for both boards into one Gerber viewer, and you can see right through the hole and see that, hey, everything got aligned properly. You should do. You should invest in some um, RF tuner screwdrivers if you don't have any. 
With those little pocket protector ones? No, no, the RF tuner ones are they're plastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you don't if you because if you're reaching into a tiny hole to reach that and you slip with the metal screwdriver, you're going to put that metal screwdriver into your PCB and short something out. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. You use a plastic one. Yeah. And the reason why they use the plastic one too is cuz it's for RF tuning of inductors and you're moving the you're actually moving the inductor core up and down in the inductor. Yeah, you're changing the, the inductance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, you don't want to conduct anything down with your hand. Yep. Uh, just touching it is enough. To, so when, to when I was yeah. learning electronics and tuning these inductors and stuff, um, I didn't have a RF tuner screwdriver, so I just used a metal one. And so what you do is just move it. You put it in, and it would completely mess up the image on the Atari. Yeah. Right. And so you would just turn it just a little bit and pull out the screwdriver and see what happens. and see what and so it takes a long time <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Um, it's, but it's super trial and error yeah super trial and error but the same thing is because um, they had metal shielding over their entire um, uh, their main board that was inside the Atari yeah they had heavy heavy pot metal um, RF shielding and but they had a hole where the tuna was so you didn't have to take the whole thing apart oh that, okay that makes it easy yeah cool well, the 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 trim pot turn. Well, the trim pots I got are twenty five turn guys, so they're, oh, they're pretty accurate, um, and they have a specific tool to turn them. And it's a screwdriver. It's a flathead screwdriver, but it has a shroud that fits over that, such that it'll grip the top of the turner and surround the top of the turner, such that you're you can, once you engage, you, you can't it, slip you can't off. off. Yeah. Uh, so you, so it allows for you to you know hold your tongue at the right angle and get it just right. Yeah, you need to post that part number because I've never heard of that before. That's yeah, pretty sweet. You know, I've, I used to have a whole bunch of them, and then I can't find them anymore. But they but they literally have a uh, you can put them in your pocket. They have like a little whatever that little tang is that's on the side of a pen oh yeah, uh, yeah. they're like the most ultimate super nerdy thing yeah if, if you go to a trade show and someone's got one of those in their in their pocket protector you know they're a gray beard oh yeah because who <laughs> who uses a, like you know trim pots anymore yeah uh besides me and on top of that who would have it in your front pocket yes because you, know? <laughs> <laughs> you use it every day yeah yeah so it's, it's ridiculous you know so the, i guess there's one other thing that came to mind um when i was thinking about what to talk about assembly layers with um there's one other thing that actually makes them really super convenient on top of that is um if you're working for somebody who requires you to have drawings or uh, fab drawings or anything of that sort you can put your title blocks you can put your page you can put everything on an assembly layer such that with one click of a button you can pull the entire page up with all the notes and all the other yep. stuff so you can you can design the board you know, semi separately from the drawing, press press the assembly layer on, and then you have a full drawing. Yeah. Done. It's very assembly layers are start to bridge the gap between electrical engineer and mechanical engineer. It's, it's and drafting like really, really pseudo AutoCAD. Yes, uh, and, and and it's sort of nice because a lot of tools you can export DXF. So let's say, take for example, the inside of an oscilloscope. You ever see they have the big um, aluminum blocks that are milled yep. that, that PCB screw to? Well. You know, I'm sure that those blocks are a um, combination design between some mechanical designers, some industrial designers, and some electrical engineers. But I wouldn't be surprised life at the electrical engineer because yep. he wants the circuit to be right. And then in, he can export his assembly layer to the mechanical guy, and that guy just goes and extrudes it into whatever aluminum yep. or mills it or whatever. And so it's, it, it, it kind of makes it super easy. He doesn't have to napkin drawing out his aluminum uh, design shield or whatnot. Yeah. yeah so, it, you know, it's it's a way for us electrical engineers to pretend to be mechanical. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
that's my uh, assembly layer rant. Yeah, thought that it might be useful. Yeah, and um, and the other the other use case for assembly layers I've seen is um for indicating like pin one and rotation because you can actually like write on like because you don't sometimes you don't want that information on your silk screen mm-hmm. um and but you need to denote okay this is a really funky LED that lays sideways and so you'll draw that in right um and yeah well and you can always write yourself notes. Yep. Like a lot of times, um, people will write notes on a schematic for the PCB guy. Like uh, maybe some maybe some guy's working on a schematic and he's got a switch mode power supply on there where he knows that these four resistors need to be in a really tight loop. He can write a note on the schematic, basically transfer that to the assembly layer and give it to whoever's laying out. And then that guy just pulls up the assembly layer and says, "Oh, R one, two, and three all need to be really close together." Yeah. So it's it's nice for for doing things like that. Yeah. Just quick dirty work that. It's it's the stuff that not everyone needs to see, but some people do. Yep. So, cool. Cool. Yeah. So this Friday, I'm giving a Hackaday IO talk. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, it's their you know Hackaday chat thing. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. they asked me to do a chat about Macrofab. So I'll hey. be doing that this Friday, January twelfth at twelve p.m. Pacific time. Nice. So, yeah. What are you guys going to be talking about? Everything Macrofab. Like oh, really? Okay, so it's, a, it's production. A, it's a what machines we have? Um, they can ask me questions about electrical design. I said I I told them you know I'm not an RF guy or anything, so like keep it to like you know digital world. <laughs> Don't stump him. Yeah, keep me to <laughs> zeros and ones, and and you know is it pulled to one? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right. That's still my favorite joke. <laughs> so yeah, this uh, Friday at 12 p.m. So probably. We'll try to get this podcast out on Thursday so people can know about that. Oh, okay. Cool. Because yeah, usually this podcast would come out after that chat would have happened. Because it comes out, this podcast comes out on right, cause that's Friday ten, that's at noon. That's 10 o'clock our time. 10 o'clock our time. So it would yeah. be two hours ahead. Right, right. Uh, well, cool. Cool. Right. How, long, how long is that going to be? Like an hour or so? I think it's two hours long. So, and the, and the great thing about it is like I don't need to shave or like get cleaned up or anything because it's just chatting presentable yeah it's just chatting it's just like the podcast oh is, is it a video chat or no no just just typey chat oh okay. the thing about it is like yeah it's like the pod it's like we don't why we don't do a video cast because <laughs> then we'd have to look nice uh, and second of all nobody wants to look at yeah, us yeah so. and the moment they invent smell vision like this is done oh, this podcast is done yeah no. <laughs> can't handle that <laughs> i think every single engineering podcast would be done Oh yeah, yeah, for sure, <laughs> guaranteed. <laughs> All right, cool. and then um, I got I got an update from last week that DSO one thirty eight oscilloscope. Oh, the oscilloscope, yeah, yeah. So I started looking into like how do they get it so cheap? Uh huh. And um, Zap from the Slack channel said it was because uh, the main reason is because the STM thirty two F one hundred three, which is their main microcontroller on it. Um, legit ones like the cheapest. There's like, uh, there's like several chips in this family, uh-huh. but the cheapest one was two dollars and thirty six cents in quantity on Mauser. Okay, which is pretty cheap for a microcontroller. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's, that's but not you're bad. but you're talking like the clones were two dollars to buy this thing. Oh yeah, they are fully assembled fully with assembled. a screen and yeah, everything. connectors and all kinds. So of things. you can go, you can get questionably sourced units of this microcontroller for under a buck. What does questionably source mean like Alibaba? Oh, 
Yeah, they, they had to kill a couple people to get these chips to you. So apparently, it's it's actually widely cloned. Really? Yeah. Huh. So that's 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 why is they this microcontroller is a widely cloned ST uh, ST microcontroller microcontroller. I, are are microcontrollers really that easy to clone? I have no idea. I never how tried. You, uh, they, I know how chips are made, and usually it's really difficult to do. So I'm always kind of shocked when when there's a clone that comes out because you could like, you could you know acid etch off everything yeah. and then snapshot all the layers yeah and then reconstruct it that way or you just you know steal the steal the plans from like whatever chinese factory these are built in that's actually probably the easiest way yeah that would be way easier yeah. than, than reverse engineering yeah. because regardless of how accurately you measure and um make every wire bond perfect in yours you have it's so hard to know how much they doped with and what their original silicon was like and maybe it doesn't matter nowadays maybe maybe like especially in a digital circuit like this maybe if you're i don't know if your cocktail of silicon is a little bit off it's not going to be a big problem well that's the thing is a lot of the clones can't run as fast oh that would yeah and so so they're getting the material science off a little bit probably yeah um because it's yeah. so sensitive to how powerful your your like how yep. deep you push boron into or arsenic or gallium yeah. or whatever you're yeah, using. Like, yeah, I mean, from from the stuff that I worked with, it wasn't like if you do it a little bit off, it just won't work as well. Like if you do it a little bit off, it just won't work at all. You yeah. Know? Like, so I don't know. It's that's cool. And it could be you know the chips will just run you know on Saturday, <laughs> or they run really hot. Yeah. Yeah. So no 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 no. <laughs> No, I'm talking about they run the fab on a Saturday. I, I know. <laughs> the chip only runs on the Saturdays. Chip, yeah, it just decides to work on Saturday. <laughs> That's it. Um, that would be the most frustrating hardware to debug ever. You a know, chip um, that just decides only to run on Saturdays. Yeah, I, I had a professor. Now this guy was loopy beyond belief. Uh, so I don't know how true this is, but he did. He didn't tell this to me. He told this to the entire class. Um, he said that. Um, chips but silicon and uh, specifically actually changes throughout the year it has different characteristics as a year goes around uh and it's measurable uh hmm. and, and nobody knows why right now but it kind of it doesn't age it just changes throughout the year so i i you know i'd love to know more about that and like i said this guy was really weird so i don't know exactly how true that was but he was willing to tell an entire class that <laughs> <laughs> for what that's worth yeah for what worth <laughs> Okay, what's okay. next? Okay, so last night I started working with this piece of software called Octoprint. Hmm. I think we talked about this a little bit last night. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. We were playing video games. But, um, yeah, but basically it's a piece of software that you run on your Raspberry Pi mm-hmm. to control your 3D printer. And it allows you to, like, see charts and graphs and be able to move um, the gantry around and all that stuff. And you can load wirelessly up through because it's all through the browser so you connect to the raspberry pi over your network oh so okay and, and unplug the sd card and plug it back in so well, i was about to say like is it an ssh kind of thing but no it's just a browser well it's probably using the ssh tunnel yeah to do it or something similar but but you're not digging right into a terminal um to set up a lot some of the stuff like the more advanced configuration you have to oh okay but yeah it's actually really well done um and this is like we you know we kind of sometimes rag on open source projects and stuff. This is like the best one I've come across. Really, um, software wise, because one, 
they give you the option to just download a Raspberry Pi image that you just slap on an SD card and it works. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and then they also give you really deep, if you wanted to, really detailed instructions to build it from source. If you wanted to. If, if, if you like that. Yeah, but it's like, they don't just give you the source. They go, here's how you build it. Oh, that's cool. Which is really nice. Yeah. And then, so I got it all working and um, I got it, so I was talking over my browser. That was all good, but I couldn't get it to connect to my printer. And so I'm like, okay, it's probably because I have a Monoprice Ultimate 3D printer, and I'm like, okay, something's funky there with the USB connection. Mm. And so I started Googling this, and the first result was I had to set my baud rate. Hmm. And my baud rate was set to auto. Okay. But apparently sometimes it will get confused and think it's communicating correctly, and it's not. And so I just basically had to find the baud rate for my printer, and the first link, someone said, I tried this setting, <sighs> and it worked. And so I tried that setting, and it worked. Oh, I thought you were going to say you hooked it up to a scope and counted pulses. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, not that advanced. I basically just had to hit one Google link, so that was pretty sweet. Nice. And th- So that was hey, working. at least it wasn't a guy who was just like, I fixed it, and that's all he that's said. That's it, yeah. <laughs> that's actually almost what it was. It was, like, it was like three pages, and then like the last thing was this baud rate worked. Nice. <laughs> so nice. I was like, oh, that's cool. Um and then I couldn't get my webcam set up working because I was using a non-official webcam and I used some special um, webcam streaming. Oh, the, really, we- the webcam into the Pi. Yeah. Okay. So you can actually view it through your browser. Oh, okay. Um, and they use some, I can't remember the technical term for the software, but it's a really stripped down driver that allows the streaming to hand, uh, happen with a lot less overhead. Mm. So more of the Pi power can be used to talk to the printer and actually run the printer yeah um and so i was like usb webcam octoprint not working the first link was this is awesome the github issue someone made an issue on their their um their uh github yeah and and how to fix it oh that's awesome And all the commands run basically all you have to do is tell octoprint in its config file what USB ID to look for because it doesn't have that USB ID in its repository to look for. Oh, and the webcam keeps spitting that out. Yeah, and so you just type in, I can't remember the right command, but it tells you the USB um, ID Hmm. of the webcam, and then you go, you type that in the config, and reboot, and bam, it worked. That's awesome. So it was was the combination of really good documents, really good software, made a really good experience. Hey. So, That's cool. I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah, so tonight I'm going to... I designed last night a little holder that will clip on the side of my printer, and then I'll mount my camera on it. And then I'll probably stuff all the Raspberry Pi guts into the bottom of the printer. Is there room down there? Yeah. Cool. And that base is like half empty. Hmm. So I'm going to sticky foam tape everything in there. And uh, yeah, that should be pretty sweet. That's cool. So and you can be at work... And if you so, come up with an idea, you can fire it up. So that, not yet. Oh, really? Not yet. Because that's only re- on local oh. network. But they had this other guy made this um, app for your Android phone called Printroid. Hmm. And using that, you can look, you can basically access Octoprint through an app on your phone on the local network. But there's a way to make it work over the internet. Well, couldn't you just punch a hole in your router? And That's the whole set. Yeah, you have to punch a hole and set up a static IP and a bunch of stuff. Sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah, and you can access Octoprint over the internet. I was actually really hoping I could find someone that I can just pay five bucks a month and just it would work. Oh, but not okay. set all this stuff up. So eh. 
it would be worth it to me <coughs> if all I had to do was download an app and then a plugin for Octoprint and pay five bucks and it worked. That would be that would be convenient. Yeah. 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 Instead of running a whole crap load of Linux commands. Yes. I mean, it's probably going to take me a couple hours tonight to get that working. Yeah. And I'd I'd gladly pay five bucks for a service for that. <laughs> That's cool though. Yeah. So so what's kind of the the goal behind it? Just be able to yeah, fire well, up stuff at home. So we were printing this peristaltic pump for um, Steven's homebrew setup. Yeah, we, we actually talked about that pump many many years yeah, yeah. ago. So we made a like rudimentary version that actually worked and yep. we had a gif video and all that stuff this is like a hardcore prototype version though yeah this is a planetary sun gear you know big monster version yeah of that pump and it was a <laughs> and so i was really wanting to be able to check on it from home with yeah. my web with a webcam and so i started researching how to do that and octoprint seems to be the best way to do it cool because you can actually like oh it's messed up and so you can just pause it from home gotcha and i'll probably set it up to where um, it can also cut off the main supply to the printer. Um, is there like GPIO support? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. you could you could hook it up to something that'll yeah, uh, yeah. like a relay for flipping yeah. So on. the Pi can flip a relay and just power the whole printer off, and that way, if it's on fire, I can at least cut the electricity off from it. <laughs> <laughs> And hope it, that it just burns and nothing else. Well, uh, oh, I could set up a fire extinguisher yeah. with an actuator. And yeah. so it goes... <laughs> that'd be yeah. sweet. You should totally do that. Yeah, I should do that. Yeah, that's great. Oh, I well, I should use some of those... That's um, some total Doc Brown stuff right there. I should set up like a... Um, they make these... It's not Halon, because um, you can't buy that anymore. It's like... That, Halon was like... It's this... Because um, uh, like if you use like a regular ABC fire extinguisher, mm-hmm. it makes like powder everywhere. Yeah, and it's nasty. It corrodes and would like immediately ruin anything it touches. Basically, because so caustic. Um, it does put the fire out though. Yeah, <laughs> but the there's a um, alternative called Halon, and they only use it in military now because it's like you know harmful to the ozone or something. Some horly torty ooh, <laughs> like people use fire extinguishers enough to. Regardless, um, <laughs> it was a really awesome. Like for for cars, they used it a lot yeah. in um, automotive racing and stuff because it wouldn't damage wiring. Because it wouldn't. Because if you spray an ABC fire extinguisher on your engine, it's going to eat every single piece of copper in your hood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so they would use that instead, which is great. Um, and then the government banned it, and now there's like alternatives that are almost as good. I should just get one of those because they're smaller and. You know, probably easier to mount, and I'm sure FleaBay has a bunch of those. No, you can buy legit ones on Amazon. Oh, okay, so, yeah. There's not Halon. They're called like E Halon or something like that. Halon or something like that. Yeah, probably use one of those. Cool. Cool. So we'll go to the rapid fire opinion now. This we're done talking about printers and uh, simulators and and counterfeit STM microcontrollers. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this I saw today. It's the Dragonfly 2020 Pro, and actually, this is more about 3D printing. Yeah, I've 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 seen this before. I've I've been keeping my eye on these kind of things for a while because I've always wanted this to be real. But so this looks is it is it getting there? Well, go ahead, explain what it is. Okay, so it's an additive pre CB printer. So think about a 3D printer. Yep. But instead of uh, it, it, it's, it, it extrudes, extrudes, but it's more resin based. 
Right. And so what it'll so it has two essentially it has two re- from what I can tell from the video. I didn't actually go into like I actually had to like give them personal information to like get the brochure. Oh, they're gonna call you every day now. So, well, I didn't do that. I just watched the video, which oh, is on YouTube. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it looks like they have a non-conductive resin and a conductive resin. And then they basically lay down those two resins, UV flash it, then do next layer and next layer, build it up until you have a PCB. And so it can do blind buried vias, uh, multi-layer, all that stuff. Right, and the blind and buried vias would not cost anything more. More, correct. Because uh, it doesn't really have to do anything extra. Extra, yeah. It's still the same process. Yeah. Um, so it's really cool. and. They don't say how long it takes or whatever, but it looks reasonably quick mm-hmm. um, on doing it. Um, but there, I think there's still going to be a couple problems with this. Yeah, Because it's that? mainly ta- tailored towards prototypes. Because it's still going to be way too expensive to do production. Oh, and run guaranteed too slow. Uh, and too slow for that. But the, the problem with it is the conductive resin. Is it needs to be close enough... To copper in conductivity, which is highly conductive and one of the most conductive elements that we have, mm-hmm. it has to be close enough to that so it won't affect your circuit. Because the moment you basically, if you build something that works on this conductive resin, let's say a switcher, switch power supply, yeah, which just a slight variance in, you know, you were talking about earlier, like re- resistor one, two, three, and four need to be really close together. Yep. That's to keep the inductive loop. And resistance down yep. for the feedback circuit, usually in the switcher. Right. Well, if you now have this parasitic resistance in between, or capacitance too, because who knows what the dielectric constant of the of the resin is. Mm-hmm. If it's so far off of what a regular PCB is, then it's basically useless for most. Well, not most, but for some types of prototyping. Yeah, I mean, I, I doubt you'd do, like, high-end RF stuff or, like... Oh, yeah, but, like, you know, a switcher, <coughs> like, a 5-volt switcher, Yeah, that I wouldn't even say that's high-end anymore. No, 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 no. like yeah. a 24 to 5 or something, yeah. like, you know, down to 5, yeah. yeah. That, that's, that's and, and most of that stuff has become so, like, Lego block. Mm-hmm. Like, if you go to, uh, gosh, uh, Linear Technology has, has a bunch of really great switchers, yeah. uh, and they give... They give a circuit example where it's not like calculate this resistor or do this. They literally just say do the work, and, the and, t- and, the t- and they give you like a layout too. Yeah, and the TI Webbench does the same thing. Yep. You just yep. plug in what you want and what the inputs are, and it goes use this chip, this layout, and this example, you know, schematic and its layout. Right, right. And they'll actually give you part numbers for like you need to use these capacitors because they have the right ESR. Yep. And that's what I'm worried about with this is. Sure, it's really awesome. This would be great for probably 90% of stuff. Well, it, it sounds like it would be great to have an engineering lab where somebody has an idea for a circuit and they want to spin it up right away. Yeah. Or even like, let's say you have a sub-circuit that you want to just test the sub-circuit and instead of you know spinning an entire board to test a new sub-circuit, just build a little board of that sub-circuit and test just that. Yeah. That would be awesome. And I could see this being your first... Proof of concept prototype. Mm-hmm. So you build one of these because you can get it in like two or three days assembled, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you, you go, okay, that works or doesn't work or whatever. And when it does work, you can say, okay, let's build it out of FR4, which takes 10 days now. Right. And then that works. And you go, okay, then because that piece you can take and get FCCCE certified. I don't think you would be allowed to get. 
this prototype FCC CE certified because the dielectric, the material it's made out of is so different from what a FR4 copper board is made out of. Oh, I think you actually would. You could get it certified, but you'd have to... Always make it with that. Always make it with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, well, yeah, you yeah. Could, okay, you could. Yeah, yeah, so... Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, you'd have to... Like, it would have to be written on the certification that you used. Uh, you would box yourself into this. Yeah. Well, because you're allowed to change the design a little bit. Yeah. As long as you can, with certain... I think it's, it's, it's weird how it's worded. It's like, with certainty, say that it won't change its emissions. Or oh, it's, uh, yeah. its effect. I sort of think it won't change. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, actually, come to think about it, what this would be really great for is if you had a chamber, uh, an anechoic chamber in your in your place, and you had your circuit, you could spin it up, put it in the chamber, and just get an idea for how noisy it is. If it's really noisy, change the circuit a little bit, re-spin your board like same day put it back in the chamber see if what you changed made any difference then you then what you're doing is you're sort of you're you're taking out the material of out of the equation and seeing the impact of your layout of your layout and that would be really helpful that'd be really cool actually yeah 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 that would be a lot of fun but i'm sure this thing is so cost prohibitive well to do that the first thing i did when i saw it i was like hey church when can we get one of these Never. <laughs> so, how, uh, how much do you think a machine like that costs? Um, it doesn't actually look that complicated. The most, I think, the most expensive thing is going to be the resin. Mm. Well, that's a guarantee, and, yeah. and that's just because they're going to stiff you on that. Yeah, and so they'll probably subsidize a little bit of the of the the cost of the the hardware and make it up on the resin. Um, sure. Probably under twenty k, easy. Wow, I would actually say more than that, but. Um, you should just watch the video. It's not a very super impressive looking machine. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. They didn't. They didn't put aesthetics into it. No. You know, it's funny. Like, if you look at it, looks like it's made out of extruded aluminum and yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. I see. I see. Uh, I was. I was. I've seen machines of this caliber, and they're like, you know, sand printing and mm-hmm. and laser sintering and things like that. Uh, the machines I've seen that do similar to this are of that caliber. Yeah. Uh, and so I, my mind was thinking hundreds of thousands of dollars. No, know, no. So. Even like sand printing. Well, it's not called sand printing. It's SLA. SLA, yeah. Um, wait. Selective laser printing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. SLS. Uh, yeah, SLS. Yeah. Um, they're not even that expensive nowadays. You can get one of those for, you know, 20, 30. Really? It's actually really good. You know, and, and it's funny because it kind of brings up um, laser engraving to mind because... In a in a previous life, I I I helped worked on some laser um, engraving machinery, and um, I'm sure people have heard of Epilogue. The, the yep, they make really really great machines, but when you look at a competitor, a competitor's machine is like twenty thousand dollars. You look at Epilogue, the exact same machine is sixty thousand dollars, and it's like what's the difference? And a lot of it, you know, Epilogue is fantastic, and they have a bunch of support, and they have a bunch of other stuff. But a lot of it comes with the fact that their machine just looks really polished. Yeah, you know, it's got nice colors, and it's like all smooth and things. And the other guys looks like it looks like extruded aluminum that's like glued together. You yeah. know, and. There you go. That's $40,000 extra to make yeah. it look nice. Well, and the thing is, I've used a lot of lasers. Yeah. I've, I've, we've taken an epilogue out of the box, and it worked. Oh, I've yeah. never taken a third price of an epilogue printer, a uh, laser printer out, and it not it just never worked out of the box. You yeah, always had to do something, something to it. There's some setup there, yeah. And so there is a benefit to it just working out of the box. 
Well, especially if it's going in a manufacturing setting. Yes. Uh, if you can, if you can spin up your laser, you know, one of the things we were replacing, we were acid etching 100% of a product line that was a very significant portion of the company. So we had a, a line of workers who were putting stencils onto these devices and then painting acid etch onto them and etching stainless steel. And, you know, within, within probably two or three days, we had an epilogue laser spun up and that one laser replaced like four people's jobs. Uh, and it took like, and like you, you could, you could plug MS word into it and, and just click print and it would print. You could print a thesis document on a, on a, on a pen. plate of steel, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it was really, yeah, that was cool. So, so rapid, rapid spin up of machines is, is worth a lot. Yes. Worth a lot of money. Um, so yeah, I think it's a really cool idea. I want to see it. I want to see more. Like how long does how much like per square inch? How long does it take to print? Yeah, the um, PCB. Machine. What's the actual resistance of the conductive, and what's the isolation of the non-conductive? Right. Because then once you know that, then okay, we can we can talk about how much this machine right. is and going can, to work. Can something. I do? Can I do six mil trace and six mil space? I think yes. Because uh, like that, it does do six mil. Six that's mil. kind of the standard nowadays yeah. in the PCB world, and I wouldn't want to have to change my boards based off of that. Yeah, I actually think it does down to three mil. That's cool. So it can do BGA stuff. Yeah. So the only other thing... Oh, another thing to talk about is... Uh, I don't know how coplanar it is either. Because that's... We're talking about BGAs. Um, the main thing about BGAs is you want the board and your finish to be coplanar. Because any variance, you're going to get a ball that's not going to solder right. Well, yeah. You mean you mean the copper and the mask opening, basically, they have to be... No, 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 no. No, the actual board... Needs to be coplanar, so there's no warp. Oh, and the oh, finish needs to be saying. smooth right, enough yeah. and be co- coplanar, which is why most manufacturers like Microfab will say you for BGAs you need to have Enig finished because it's very coplanar. That's the big thing about Enig finishes, right? As opposed to Hassle, which is basically they just flow solder over the board and it's all wavy and yeah, nasty. yeah. It's a, it's an actual. Uh, they use a. a Hot gun, hot with gun, a yeah. Big nozzle on yeah, it. Yeah, it's it's like like Ghostbuster style. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't cross the streams. <laughs> okay. Um, next topic is Google shuts down its uh, CES booth because it's not waterproof. What? So they this is the first year Google has been at CES, and they had a ginormous two story outdoor booth, and it rained. Oh no! And they didn't make it waterproof. Oh, someone's getting fired. Yeah. Especially since they, <laughs> it's apparently, like, when people were able to go to it, it was really, like, one of the best booths there. It's really well laid out. And, all like, they put a lot of thought into it. Ex- and probably a ton of money. And a ton of money. And it was not waterproof. And so they had to shut it down because it's filled with water right now. W- where is CES? Las Vegas. Oh, Vegas. Okay. Okay. Yikes. Yeah. That sucks. Yeah. It's all soggy now. <laughs> yeah. But the fact that... You didn't even think possibility maybe it might not rain? You're spending that much money. I bet you somebody, not bet you, they guaranteed thought about it, but they probably gambled. They probably just were like, let's just hope. But the thing is, let's say they spent spent a million bucks. Which they probably did. They probably did for the booth. To put a ginormous tarp over it would have been maybe a couple thousand bucks. Yeah, yeah. So that's a really bad gamble. <laughs> I guess it's just a learning lesson. Especially, it kind of sucks because it's their first one. Yeah. Too. And I, I'm going to bet you, though, it wasn't that. They just comp- they just never even thought about it. They were so... 
I bet you what it was making it awesome is they probably didn't even think it was at an outside booth when they were designing it. Oh, maybe not. And it just happened to go outside, and it, it was one of those like, oh, the booth space outside is cheaper, so let's put our ginormous booth outside. I, I feel bet bad you that's for what the marketing people. I bet you that's what it was. <laughs> Calling you out, Google. Yeah, I know. I know someone at Google listens to us. So, so secretly write us and tell us why. Yeah, <laughs> or just publicly tweet us. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Yeah, that's another good way to get fired. <laughs> okay. Okay. So the next one is um, Vishra V O R High Performance Solid State Relays. This is a new product that they came out with. Hmm. Um, the big selling point: it has a very low turn-on current of 0.25 milliamps. Oh wow! Really low. So you, this is talking like low power stuff. So it's, this would be really good for any kind of low power microcontroller that needs to turn on a big signal, basically. Do you have the? No, nah, I don't see a part number on this. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna look this up real quick. I've got a, um, I got the product highlight from DigiKey there. Well, one thing I'm, I'm interested in, um, so. Solid state relays come in two flavors, AC and DC. They do both. Uh, so you can get this in an AC no version. They do both. Well, okay, yeah, okay. So, so they, the chip does AC and DC. Well, the, the AC versions inherently do DC. Yes. Also, there's but, no only DC version. That's they all awesome. do AC DC. Yeah. Oh, that is killer. Yeah. So I was looking at. So I'm like, okay, this sounds really cool. And then I got to what it out. It can output. Yeah. 400 volts. That's pretty good. Yeah. But 140 milliamps. Okay, so it's not super beefy. No, these are like SRC eight size. Sure, as SRs. But now I was thinking, Cation to maximum because, like, if you have 140 milliamps, you're not going to be running 400 volts. Uh, usually. Well, the, okay. So the question mm-hmm. is: Is that 140 milliamps? It's like just absolute maximum current. No, for that's any that's voltage? continuous. But is that for any voltage? Any voltage. Okay. okay. Yeah. Um, it has like a higher surge or whatever. Sure. But I was thinking, what kind of application? Because like the application listing, some of them are kind of bullshit because it's like motor controlling. I'm like, no, you're not going to do 140 milliamp unless it's a little tiny like pager motor. Yeah. But then you're just going to run a cheaper FET yeah. for that. Right. Because um, you're not worried too much about efficiency on, on the pager motor or whatever. But so like what kind of, and we're talking about like, you know, maybe small signals. This would be really good for doing audio signals because mm-hmm. you would have very low loss through it. Um, but it's also not 400 volts. I mean, you could have a 400 I mean, that's volt. anything up to 400. Yeah, but you yeah. could have a 400 volt audio signal. Uh, well, the first thing that came to mind is this would be killer for turning on and off of a vacuum tube amp. So this is what I was thinking though, is what kind of application would maximize this part? So you would get really close to the 400 volt and really close to 140 milliamps. And I was like, oh yeah, vacuum tubes would probably be there. So okay, here's what's funny: if you have a if you have a a pretty Joe Schmo between 30 and 50 watt amp, uh, usually your your high voltage is in the 350 to 420 range. So you're right there, and uh, the current draw is between like. 60 and 100 milliamps from close. so so you could literally what, what see what would the, so a, a good old-fashioned toggle switch makes a pretty good power switch for, yeah, yeah, for yeah, yeah. but what this would be really great for is um an auto shutdown yeah so uh or 
you could have a timed start such that the tubes could heat up, give them like, you know, 10 seconds, and then this would click on, something like that. Uh, or if it ever detected, you know, like a overload or a surge, it could protect everything so you don't lose your tubes or you don't lose a transformer or something. So that's really cool, actually. And you can do actually a slow ramp on to uh, tube two. Yeah, that's right. You can PWM it. And I was actually thinking, would, would you get any effect if you PWM your heater circuit? So you're only running your heater at 50% power. Uh, so heaters are really interesting. They, they, they're wor- they work off the fact that they're tungsten and they have, yep. they have a coating on them that has a really low work function. Mm-hmm. And that work function basically is how much energy it takes to make an electron boil Bou- off yeah, of boil it. Yeah, boil off of it. Yeah, bounce uh, off. And, and the chemistry of that coating is really pretty precise. A normal tube heats up at 6.3 uh, volts. And if you're at like 6 volts... You see huge uh, problems in uh, output, and in fact, you can damage the tube by running it. So you have to be within a pretty close range. Like ah, you, ha- you have maybe ten percent tolerance before you really start noticing a quick drop off. So fifty percent, you'd hear nothing. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So. That's your tube talk of the day, hey. <laughs> Stephen. Tube talk. <laughs> Brought to you by. High performance solid state relays. <laughs> yeah, five, four. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of a weird, weird part. It has like five thousand volt of isolation, which is pretty good. Yeah. That's it's like well, why that's, that's insulation between both sides of the both relay. sides. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those. It's like that's why you would use this over a MOSFET. Mm-hmm. It's because you have that five thousand. The MOSFET won't get you to five thousand volt. It would get you to like a couple hundred volts. Most small FETs like this would be a couple hundred volts between uh, your isolation on your gate. Yeah. Um, but this says 5,000, so you're like, you know, you're almost to the level of, like, ESD protection built in. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I can't remember what what's the lowest ESD, like, the human body model. It's 500 volts or something like that. No, it's higher. It's 4,000 or something like that. Uh, well, the standard human body is, is 1,500, but it comes in different categories. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, So yeah, the yeah. lowest is, like, down at 500. Yeah. Um, that's not, like, socks on carpet. That's, like, you know, rubber soles on concrete. But yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the thing is, I think that they chose that 400 volts uh, to be a spe- really specific number because if you rectify 220, then you get 380 volts. So this would allow you there to you switch on something in a two, 220 volt circuit. Yep. Uh, so you could switch you could switch a full 380, uh, turn it completely on with this relay, and send that to uh, a switch mode power supply. And if you're talking about 380 volts at 140 milliamps if you drop that down to 24 volts you have a ton of extra power there that's true so so this makes a really good dc switcher for high ac there you go that that's actually probably what this is i bet you that's for. exactly what it's yep. for because it's it, that number is so convenient yeah near 380 so I never even think about that because yep. i just looked at its applications that they were suggesting i'm like you would never use this part for that you would it's never so, use this part ever yeah <laughs> <laughs> but that's actually a really good. I bet you a lot of those applications would come up by marketing team. Like, how do we? We can't just have one application for this. So, do you, just like a, um, like a standard LED drop. Yep. Yeah, for yeah. the input. Yep. Do, do you know what the voltage drop was on that? It's probably low. No, I don't remember. But it only takes 0.25 milliamps to turn that LED on. That's pretty crazy because a lot of solid state relays out there are still in the like. 40 milliamp drive. Yep. A lot of them, like to drive an SSR with a microcontroller, you need a BJT still. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You have to, you have to. With this, if it's if it's a really low voltage 
turn on. Like if you could, if you could direct from a microcontroller, you can turn this, this guy, on. Yeah. So you can turn on a 380 volt with a five volt signal. I actually think you can do it with like a 1.8 volt signal. That's killer, especially if I mean, it, you, of course, you would want protection circuitry in between, just a little bit. But still, that's pretty awesome that you know a Raspberry Pi could turn on like a motor start or something yep. like that. That's uh, that's kind of cool because you know in the past you always have to have some buffer in between there just because it takes power. Yeah. Cool. Yep. So that was the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. <laughs> Steven's like, great ending burger. I guess we're done. <laughs> guess we're done. Um, you have anything else, Dad? Um, no, I guess we're done. Yeah, we're done. <laughs> um, we were your hosts, Parker Dillon and Stephen Craig. Later, everyone. Take it easy. Thank you, yes, you, our listener, for downloading our show. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic, or a better way to transition between topics, let Stephen and I know. Tweet us at MacFab or email us at podcast at macfab.com. Also, check out our Slack channel. If you're not subscribed to the podcast yet, click that subscribe button. That way you get the latest map episode right when it releases. And please review us on iTunes. Helps the show stay visible and helps new listeners find us. And we're still hiring people, so click that link in the podcast description and I think it's like macfab.com slash jobs or something like that. Later. <laughs>